Would you turn with me, please, to Mark's Gospel, chapter 15. Mark's Gospel, chapter 15. We'll hear Counter Grace sing another couple before we go home this evening. Mark 15. Beginning to read at verse 22. And they bring him, that is the Lord Jesus, unto the place Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of a skull. And they give him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the superscription of his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on the right hand, the other on the left. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, he was numbered with the transgressors. And they, passed, they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest, destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priest mocking said among themselves with the scribes, he saved others himself he cannot save. That Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by when they heard it said, Behold, he calleth Elias. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elias will come to take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud, vo a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion which stood over against him saw that, he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, too late, this man was the son of God. Father, take your word and then print it on our hearts. Scribe it upon our minds. Put it upon our lips. And touch us this evening that your son may be seen. That he may be exalted and he may be glorified. We thank you for the blood of the lamb. May your spirit move upon us this evening to the glory of his name. And as we lift them up, Lord, will you draw men or women who may be unsaved tonight unto thee. For the glory of Christ, I pray and ask it. Amen. 
Amen. The preaching of the gospel is for the saving of the soul. In the preaching of the gospel, the apostles went preaching Jesus, preaching Christ. The gospel is good news. Good news to a people who were in their sin, a people who are lost, a people who are dying in their sin, without God and without Christ, without hope in the world, being launched out into eternity. And they're separated from God forever. And hence the good news, the gospel comes and it points to Christ, for he is centralized in the very word of God. He is the word of the Father made flesh. And hence the gospel is named, but it's more intricate when we start to delve into the gospel. For example, the scriptures, uh, 48 times all in the New Testament speak of the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom. And it takes in uh, the whole nation of Israel, takes in the very prophetic utterances of the Lord, the gospel of the kingdom of Christ and his power and the Holy Spirit coming to you and to me, the, the kingdom anointing and power. There is the gospel of peace. There is the different aspects of the gospel. It's called the gospel of God. The gospel of the blessed God is called the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and many times is called the gospel of Christ. It's called the gospel throughout the New Testament. The good news of the kingdom, the good news of peace, the good news from God, the good news from Christ and about Christ and it's all of Christ. The gospel is Good news to a lost and dying people. The gospel is good news to the ear that can hear and the heart that can receive. And the gospel is centralized with all its intricacies around it. The gospel is fixed and focused and centralized on the cross. The cross work of Christ when Jesus bled and died. And of course he rose again on the third day. There is the the gospel in the nutshell, the gospel of saving grace, the gospel of saving grace. The last time the word gospel is used, if my memory serves me right, is in Revelation chapter 14. Now, I don't want to guess the verse because I can't remember it, but it's definitely in Revelation chapter 14. And the gospel is called the everlasting gospel In other words, this good news brings us everlasting life found in Christ. This good news will ring out throughout not only the years on earth, not only from Christ came and bled and died and rose again, but the gospel rings throughout heaven, rings throughout all eternity, and rings throughout the kingdom of God. And there will be a time when we leave this mortal coil and should Christ tarry, we will all lie in the ground and we will ascend. Our spirit will return to God. But at the resurrection of the dead, when kingdom comes in its fullness at the coming of Christ, when the kingdom comes and Christ comes to rule and to reign from Jerusalem, you and I with new bodies who are saved, who are born again of the spirit and washed in the blood, who have heard the, the good news of the saving grace of God in Christ, You and I will hear that eternal gospel forever 
and forever and forever. And here's the thing, brothers and sisters and friends tonight, which I don't understand is why the Christian, many Christians don't like to hear the gospel. I'm not going, it's just a gospel message. It's not just a gospel message. It's not just a gospel message. It is the message of the gospel. It is the message that every heart of every Christian, every man and every woman, every blood-washed, every blood-bought saint and child of God, they should be rejoicing in it because Christ has died for a sinner like me. Tonight we should rejoice because of what Christ has done for us. The everlasting gospel throughout eternity we will remember the gospel. Oh, but sure, we'll be in a different age and era then. Yes, we will. But there's a lamb, as it were. There's a man. And the only man-made thing in heaven at the minute are the marks that were put there because of your sin and mine. Think about it. Think about this. And whenever you and I are in the kingdom of God, And any time if we are blessed enough to get near the throne, if we're blessed enough to get near Christ himself there, we will see the wounds in his hands and his feet. And we will see the wounds upon his applied back. We will see the wounds in his side. We will see the wounds that were made by Roman soldiers because of our sin. The gospel of God, the gospel of God, of Christ is an everlasting gospel. By the way, the term everlasting, it's used, now the English word in your King James Bible that is now, it is used some 97 times, everlasting. Speaks of the everlasting God throughout the Old Testament. And believe it or not, you might think that the the word everlasting is used more in the New Testament because of the new covenant, because of the blood of Christ, but it's not. It is used 71 times in the Old Testament and it is used 26 times in the New Testament. And the very first time the English word everlasting is used is in Matthew chapter 18 and it speaks of an everlasting fire. Imagine that. In chronological order, the first time it's used in Matthew 18, it speaks of an everlasting fire. The next time it's used, I think it's Matthew 25, and it's used as everlasting punishment. And here the Spirit of God shows us that there is a fire. There is an eternal damnation. There is an everlasting punishment. But then it turns and points us to Christ. And it tells us that there is everlasting life. Everlasting life found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And 26 times, the last time that the word everlasting is used is also in Revelation 14 when it speaks of the last time the word gospel is used and it's everlasting gospel. Everlasting, the last mention of the English word, everlasting. And the last mention of the word gospel, the English word gospel, are put together in Revelation 14, and it speaks of the 
everlasting gospel. There it is, Revelation 14 and 6. The word everlasting, we have everlasting fire, everlasting punishment. We're told of everlasting life. We're told of everlasting consolation. We're told of the everlasting covenant. But the last time that the Spirit leaves it with us is the everlasting gospel. This message of the cross. This message that God himself came down from glory and took on the form of man a body of flesh, and went to Calvary to die for us. Went and bled and died and shed his most precious blood. He gave his life a ransom for many. And here we find it, the last time it is used, it is in the last book of the Bible, and it's saying, this message is everlasting. So in the year 2023, your Bible is not out of date. In the year 2023, the gospel is not out of date. In the year 2023, and should the Lord tarry, and should the Lord bless us for another 10 years, or 2033, or whatever it may be, this book will tell us of the coming Christ. Uh, The bleeding lamb will tell us of the glorious God who gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him, would not perish but have everlasting life. And this book is an everlasting book. This is the everlasting gospel. Christ died for our sins. Christ died for your sins. Christ who died 2,000 years or so ago. Christ who rose again 2,000 years ago or so. The same Christ, the same gospel, The same message that was preached by the apostles. That was preached in the early church through persecution. That was preached by the reformers through their persecution, discovering the truths of the word of God again. The very everlasting gospel is the same gospel that has went round the nations of the world. It's the same gospel that speaks tonight in Northern Ireland here in 2023, to the whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's the same message of the same Christ, of the same blood, of the same sacrifice, of the same one who rose again the third day from the dead. Notice here in our reading tonight, in our reading, They bring the Lord Jesus to Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And they crucify him. They crucify him. It's also sanitized in the preacher's lecture. It's also sanitized. Oh, it's so sanitized by Hollywood. The marred body of Christ. He, whose visage was marred more than any man, the marred body of Christ who carries the wounds, the scars to this day. Oh, we may say, well, we've been through a lot. I've been through a lot, and you've been through a lot, and we can say others have been through a lot. Maybe even physically, some may say they've been through worse, but I'll tell you, none has been through what he has went through. For he 
had laid on him the iniquity of us all. For he had laid on him the wrath of his father. That was yours and that was mine. He had laid on him the wrath of God. Separation from his father when he cries here, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. He's saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He has never known separation from his father. Because of sin, yours and mine here. The father, as it were, separates himself from his son. He stood in my place. He took your punishment and mine. That which was mine, he took. And that which was his, I received. He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary. And he suffered and died alone. They crucified him, it says in verse 25. And it was the third hour and they crucified him. Sanitized the reader, isn't it? But if we had seen it, surely someone, surely you and I would have cried out, don't do it. He's had enough, leave him alone. When Pilate brings him after whipping him and beating him, mocking him. When Pilate brings him after this beat him with open hand and closed fist and with a reed in their hands and, uh, and they, they pummeled the, the Lord Jesus Christ and beat his beautiful face. And when Pilate brings him out and says unto the Jews, Behold your king. The word behold gives a, a, an idea of, of, of shock and awe in this instance. It, it gives the idea that, that Pilate is coming out and it's not so behold your king as it would be in some Hollywood movie from maybe the 60s or whatever. Behold your king as if it's something politely done. Pilate brings him out and the man, Christ Jesus, is a bloody mess. Beaten and battered and bruised and bloodied. And Pilate brings him out before the Jewish rabble. And he says, behold your king. It's not the way it says it. And he goes, behold your king. Behold him. Now look at him. That's more the way the text reads it. Has he not had enough? And the cry is, We will not have this man to rule over us. Away with him. Crucify him. Crucify him. Do you know. That torturous implement of the cross. That torturous implement of the cross. Even in our English language today. For someone going through terrible. uh, Awful pain. We use it today, do you know that? If you're in a terrible pain, if, if you were writhing in agony 
If we were to say, oh, this uh, ailment is excruciating. Do you know where you get that word from? It means out from the cross in Latin. Every time you say the pain was excruciating, it means out from the cross in Latin. That's what it means. That's where the word comes from. The cross was excruciating pain. Excruciating. The next time you hear someone or maybe you use it, oh, that was so painful, it was excruciating. You think of Christ. And think of the cross. And his doing and dying for you. You see, in verse 30 they say, Save thyself and come down. Verse 31 says, Likewise also the chief priests mocking and said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others himself he cannot save. And if you were to read this in the original text, uh, the, the chief priests and the scribes, all, all the doctorates of the religious eloquency of the day were all around him. And here is a man hanging between two thieves and between heaven and earth. Center point. Centralized. Between heaven and earth and between two thieves. And these Pharisees, Jewish leaders, come around him. And the idea is they start getting on like children. And you can go and read this if you read it in the original text. The original text is when it says in verse 31, Likewise also the chief priests mocking and said among themselves. It's like kids hitting themselves in school and mocking someone, mocking something. They laugh one toward another and among each other in the group and you hear them laughing. It's the exact same idea. Grown men who were supposed to be of the intelligentsia, who were supposed to know the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and they knew nothing of him. Jesus says you're off your father, the devil, to them. And there they stand, mocking the Son of God, mocking the Lamb of God. Oh, I'm sure there's many in our country today, and they mock the Lord Jesus Christ. They make fun of him. They mock his sacrifice. They mock his doing and his dying. They mock the gospel, the everlasting gospel. And God will say to the sinner, He's not going to ask you how many cigarettes you smoked. He's not going to ask you how many beers you drank or pints you drank or whatever bars you went to. He's not even going to ask you how many times you fornicated and who was it with and where was it and all this. He's not going to ask you all of that. He knows it all. He knows it. He won't ask you it. He's going to ask you, yeah, you're a sinner, but what have you done with my son? What have you done with him? He died for you. Did you receive him? Did you believe him? Did you accept him? Did you trust in him? Did you put your hope in him? Do you have your eternal welfare in him? Do you believe when he bled and died and cried, it is finished, it was enough? Enough to pay the debt in your, of your sin? 
to its fullness. Here is your salvation on the cross. Here is the payment you cannot pay because you'll never pay it on the cross. Here it is, the blood flowing down, the crimson tide, the flow from Emmanuel's veins. Here the Father will say, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. What have you done with him? There's no answer. For if you accept him not in this life, you'll know him not in the next. The everlasting gospel. Notice. This idea is that they're acting like children in verse 31. Look at verse 33, just for time's sake. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Do you know what that is? It's called propitiation. Propitiation. It really means God's wrath is averted from the sinner. When there was darkness over the land and he's crying, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? God is pouring his wrath upon his son. His son is drinking in the wrath of God that was mine and that was yours. It's called propitiation. God's wrath is averted. I've given this example before and I'll give it again. It's like you come into a large dam. You're at the bottom of the dam and there's a wall and, and we'll make it ridiculously big. It's a, a thousand feet tall and you're right at the bottom, the foot of it, a thousand feet tall. It's a thousand miles wide to the left and a thousand miles wide to the, to the right and, and suddenly you see a, a crack coming down the center of the wall. And there you are, right at this wall. It's massive. And the crack's coming and you realize, I'm going to get washed away. This is going to break and I'm going to die. This is going to consume me. It's going to destroy me. This is the end of me. And the fear is gripping you. And you see, this crack gets bigger and wider until suddenly the dam bursts open. And all the water, the trillions upon billions of gallons and liters of water are coming, hurtling towards you, ready to drink you up and take you on with a flow into death. And, and hence, you're, you're there and you've no hope. And suddenly there's a crack opens up in the ground and all the water goes into this hole in the ground. All the water goes into this big crack the whole way. It just opens up and the earth swallows it up and they're at the very edge of it. The water's flying down into it. Not one drop. Not one little splash lands in your shoe to even dampen it. And until it's drained out to its fullness, there's no more left behind this broken wall. And this gap has just drunk it all up. You realize you're saved. You're safe. Not a splash nor a drop is upon you, friend. You see, that is called propitiation. It's like when Christ died on the cross and it says in Mark 15, verse 33, and when 
The sixth hour was come. There was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God's wrath was poured out upon him. He's like that chasm that opened up on the ground. He drunk it all up. He took it all in. He bore it all for a sinner like me who should have been washed away in the current and the tide of God's wrath. But instead, Jesus took it all. Jesus paid it all. And Jesus is it all, brothers and sisters. You're the same if you're in Christ. Propitiation is God's wrath is averted from a sinner like me. Unlike you. And this is separation. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The word forsaken there gives the idea of one left behind in a strait. You ever get your in dire straits and people leave you? Fairweather friends. Your fairweather friends when you're in the world, see when you have money, you have all the friends you, ha- you want. When you have money, you could go into a a bar and you have a group of total strangers think they're your best friend because you've got the money. But see when your money's finished in the pub, your fairweather friends are nowhere to be seen. It's took up and it's drunk up and you're left alone. You're left in the street. Gives the idea that Jesus is saying, why, Father, have you left me in such a God-forsaken place like this? Separation. Propitiation. Separation. You see, that separation should have been yours. Separation should have been yours. That separation should have been mine. That's where we should have been. Separated from God forever. Separated from His presence. And you might say, well, look, if I'm a sinner and there's no separation from His presence, that's not too bad. Let me just stop you there. Because separation from the presence of God is hell itself. Christian, you understand what it's like, don't you? When you're feeling your carnal state. Now, don't be hyper-spiritual, oh man, And say, I never feel carnal. You're a human being. And we all have our carnal times. It's times we're aware of his presence. Time we're aware of his fellowship and his nearness. And there's time we're just aware of ourselves. And if you have known and loved the Lord Jesus and you're more aware of yourself than you've been aware of his presence, guess what? You see, you're walking in your carnal state. And if you've loved him, you say, Lord, I miss you. You ever say that to the Lord? I do. See, when I have my carnal moments, I say, Lord, I miss you. You want to hear him saying back, I haven't left you. You've left me. Imagine how horrible it is in just that moment or time when you feel bereft of God's spirit. Imagine it. If it was all eternity in there in a lake of fire, you're pronounced guilty and cast in thereof. Imagine, imagine it. I'm going to close this. 
There's just a few thoughts I'm putting out tonight. Notice here, it says in verse 37, and Jesus cried with a loud voice and give up the ghost. You know, depends how much you love him. Depends on what you love him, how you see the word of God. And see here he gives up the ghost. It gives the, the idea to give up is the word akpano. Akpano. And when you, if you get the reality of the cross here and, and, and ask the Holy Spirit to take you there to show you him, Give up the ghost. Think about it. Just, just draw in a wee minute. Think about it. The beautiful son of God. Think about it. The one who came and bled and died for us. The one who kept the law that we couldn't keep and lived the life we couldn't live and took our place where we should have been and bled and died in our room instead. Think about this. Think about it for a moment. He's a, a 100% human being. Out of the cross, excruciating. The wrath of the Father crushing him. Think about it. The Pharisees around him, like children, making fun. Making fun of him. He who knew no sin, who did no sin, who was yet without sin, he who is holy and harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, hanging on the cross between heaven and earth. Think about it. And it says, he gave up the ghost. The one who is life eternal, the one who alone is eternal life itself entered the veil of death, entered right into the veil and threw it for you and I. And Akpano means he was on the cross in an agony and he breathed out his last. And he breathed out his last. What a difference between life and death. What a difference when the breath of God leaves the body. Christ, no man took his life from him. He let it down. The one who is eternal life itself laid down his life and gave up the ghost. He <sighs> breathed out. The idea, <sighs> the axe healed deeply and <sighs> he breathed out his life. 
died. The veil, the temple, was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. The big veil in the temple which separated God and man. The big veil, some say it was up to between 40 to 60 foot high. And it was a hand bread thick, thickness of it. It wasn't from the bottom to the top where men could cut away at it and pull it. Maybe sneak in and do this. No, no, no. From the top to the bottom. Jesus says, Father, why have you left me? The Father takes the veil of the temple which separated you and I from him. And like a piece of paper, a bill that we owed that we couldn't pay, he rents it in twain and tears it down. And there is the holy place that we can enter into the holy of holies through the blood of the Lamb. I finished with this. That is called reconciliation. And in verse 39 it says, And the centurion stood over against him, saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, and said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. The centurion was right, and the centurion was wrong. The centurion was right and the centurion was wrong. The centurion was right in the sense Jesus was the son of God. But the centurion was wrong to speak of him in past tense. Because on the third day, up from the grave, he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. He arose the victor from the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose. He arose. Hallelujah! Christ arose. And the resurrection of the Son was the Father's amen to his cry. It is finished on the cross. Father, I've paid the debt. He goes into death and the Father resurrects him and he says, Amen, Son. So be it. And when you trust in him, and when you believe in him, and when you trust in the blood of Jesus, this everlasting gospel, this everlasting gospel that was preached in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Do you know where the uttermost part of the earth was? The British Isles at the time, Roman Empire. You know what the Romans used to call the British Isles? Optimum Thule. You know what it means? The uttermost part of the earth. And the gospel came. And the gospel goes over land and seas and borders. And the gospel came through time out of eternity. 
And the gospel came to the hearts of men and women sitting here this evening. The gospel came to you and the gospel came to me and the gospel came to you and the gospel came to me at different times, different places, under different circumstances, but we're saved by the preaching of the gospel. That's why we need to have preachers of the gospel and not furry tale tellers. It's the gospel that saves Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power. What's the word? The power. The dynamite, the dunamis. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. You think to hear some of them, oh, we're afraid to preach it in case we upset. What? I want you to preach it. I'm going to preach it because see when you preach it and the Holy Ghost takes it, he ignites it and there's bombs go off. <laughs> it's dynamite. It's the power of God on the salvation. May God bless you tonight. Maybe you're not saved tonight. The gospel's for you. The gospel's for you tonight. This same sacrifice still avails for sin tonight. The blood will never lose its power. The gospel is everlasting. And Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And the cross work still speaks in glory. Will you say praise the Lord, brothers and sisters? What a Christ. Just a few thoughts tonight. Just a few thoughts. What a Savior. You speak to us tonight if you're not saved and we want to point you to Christ and pray with you. Maybe you're backslidden. You come home tonight. You come to the Savior this evening. You come back again. May God bless you tonight.